NFL season podcast game plan, bet bash recap, craft beer from around the world, and a best bet. Welcome to this solo episode of Props and Hops, where I'll discuss what you can expect from this show during the upcoming NFL season, some Bet Bash 3 highlights and top takeaways, some craft beer highlights from a recent trip I took to Europe, and a regular season NFL passing yards prop that's worth betting right now. Diving in to the podcast game plan for the NFL season, I'm jumping to this first and foremost because things are going to be a little different from last season for those who are following along once again for the 2023 NFL campaign. I'm looking to take the show back to its roots in a sense, going with one episode a week that you can look out for on Fridays at midday Pacific time. And I'm doing this to really try to double down on where I think I have the most to offer in the sports betting content space. I myself consume and do my best to absorb tons of content spanning the entire spectrum. And I think one of the things I do best is taking all that content and filtering out what's signal and what's noise. Because as a lot of us know, there's a lot of noise out there. Uh, That signal, however, can be really precious And I do my best to distill the most actionable insights from the true originators in the space and to do that in the most digestible possible way, giving credit to those originators where it's due each step of the way. So I will acknowledge there is a risk to this approach. Late in the week is a tough time to bet. A lot of people could say by Friday, the ship has sailed when it comes to value in a lot of our NFL betting options. And I get it. That's some pretty common advice we all hear. Try to bet early in the week. That's where you can find the most value. I don't disagree with that. But at the same time, I don't think that means that all value is gone by late in the week. And frankly, the content landscape as it is right now is pretty saturated with shows dropping in the early and middle portions of each week. This approach gives me some time to do what I think I do best and in turn provide the most value to you, the audience, consuming content as I can on my terms, and then finding out how to best incorporate what matters most into insights that can then be shared on Props and Hops. I like to think of curation as my form of creation, so I hope that explains where things are headed this coming NFL season, but rest assured, unlike in this episode, you won't just be hearing from me. I'm planning to bring on a guest each week and thinking it's going to be a rotating cast of experts in the space, many of whom you've already heard on this show And that said, I'm always seeking sharp up-and-comers. I do take some pride in having been early to identify some content creators, including Sharp Clark and G-Stack George Silfidis. And in fact, recently, I think it was uh, at some point in the last year, it's, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, but I had the good fortune of hosting the first ever live interview with a couple guys from the Banfield group, Pisky and Fulldog. It was their first time participating in a live interview, so... While there are plenty of well-established names in the space, definitely looking to weave in some new blood as well where that makes sense. And when I'm having these interviews each week, I think the tentative structure we can look out for is what I have in my head as the three Ps, and those would be process, picks, and provisions. When it comes to the process side of things, I'll look to dig into lessons learned as the season progresses with guests on this show, really focusing on the approach to sports betting. This could also be a good opportunity to weave in the Malinsky Minute, really a lot of evergreen stuff that has stood the test of time and in the future can continue to stand the test of time when we think about the process of betting on sports. 
That said, I know things can be a bit time sensitive, especially by the time we get to Friday afternoons when it comes to picks. And I think that we'll do the best we can on this show over the course of the season, featuring a side, a teaser, and naturally a prop bet, both from myself and the guest on this show each week throughout the season. And to take things home, as far as the provisions go, of course, the hops going to remain a pillar of this show. So in a nutshell, one episode per week instead of two episodes per week last year. Now, I may share a Just the Picks cut down on Saturday mornings Pacific time as a second weekly episode. I've done that a bit in the past, and it's been fairly well received. So look out for that if you're really pressed for time. But overall, with fewer full episodes, the trade-off I see there to the upside is more bandwidth for deeper engagement. I'm going to look to broadcast props and hops live on Twitter and YouTube throughout the season and integrate any questions and comments wherever possible. And really between episodes, this could free up time to be more engaging on Twitter, toying with the idea of doing more on Discord as well, just looking to be as active as possible. Because the most rewarding part of doing this show for me has been creating new relationships and strengthening existing ones. So really what I'm looking to do here is double down on props and hops as a platform to drive positive human interaction. For a little bit more context here, about as long as I've been doing this show, I have been constantly seeking that optimal balance between the time it takes to make this show the best it can be versus perhaps diminishing returns from putting in a little bit too much time at times. And I think that the time I save by shifting to one full episode per week can translate pretty well to more time to engage with this show's audience, with the sports betting community overall. Uh, let alone having a full-time job, trying to prioritize health and wellness, and of course, the number one priority for me, my marriage with Mrs. Props and Hops. All right, so that's a bit of a primer for what's in store this coming NFL season. Now that we've touched on where we're going, I also think it'd be remiss not to touch on where we've been since the last new episode of Props and Hops was released. Now, this is the show's first new episode since Bet Bash 3, so while I recapped Bet Bash with a series of threads on Twitter, um, I guess Twitter, now known as X, uh, threads might be confusing with the name of the rival platform. Basically, um, some some posts on X that I called the Bet Bash rehash. Uh, I shared those online. Feel free to dig in for for the full takeaways, but I will share some top takeaways here in this forum starting with the highlights. And I'll note that the Hall of Fame dinner and induction ceremony that Spanky put together was the main event. And it's something to really look forward to every year in the future. I would argue that the inaugural Sports Gambling Hall of Fame class and that induction ceremony might go down as the greatest assembly of all time of sports gambling knowledge ever gathered in one room. So really could not endorse that Hall of Fame dinner enough Moving forward, if you're going to be going to Bet Bash, definitely prioritize being present for that very special event. And then another highlight on my end, not officially part of the Bet Bash agenda, but something that I've taken it upon myself to partake in. And in this scenario this year, I was able to partake in an event somebody else organized as well. Not one, but two David Molinsky memorial meals. And these were really special. The first one was a gathering right before Bet Bash officially began. I met up at Lotus of Siam at their new Red Rock location, which is stunning, by the way. Met up there with Mike Roselli, a good friend in real life, and of course, a dear friend of the show. Um, can say the same about Las Vegas Chris, 
and Mitch Moss and Polly Howard from Beeson were there as well. So we had a great group, some great food, great memories about the one and only David Molinsky. And the next day, an event that I didn't set up, but was fortunate to partake in, a lunch at We're a Tie in Las Vegas. That's W-E-E-R-A, We're a Tie. Feel free to look it up if it's not on your radar already for future Vegas trips. I joined Stephen Nover, Arnie Lang, and Spike Mieser. These are a few Las Vegas locals who were very generous to work around my schedule, and I was honored to be included. They've accomplished so much in their own right, so just to spend time with them and also to bond over you know, our common thread, a relationship with David Molinsky that was near and dear to all of us, that really meant a lot. And in fact, next year, I'm already going to prioritize organizing some kind of hike on Mount Charleston for some Vegas locals and perhaps early arrivers to Bet Bash. I want to give a hat tip to Steve Fezzik for that idea to get out to Mount Charleston. I had a meeting with Steve Fezzik during speed networking, and he touched on this almost immediately, and I think he's spot on. So the David Molinsky tributes, um, really a highlight of Bet Bash 3, and I think something that can continue to gain some positive momentum will get Bet Bash 4 and beyond. Another highlight for the most recent edition of Bet Bash would be a beer share that I helped organize during the watch party at the Circus Sportsbook. I brought a sampling of some of Southern California's best IPAs, sours, and stouts. And fortunately, that wasn't all that was on the table. Pro better and brewery owner, another friend of the show, Zach White, he brought some great beers from his brewery, Salty Turtle, in Surf City, North Carolina. And then Mark Scally might have been the MVP of the event. He brought a haul from his recent trip to Treehouse, which is just the mecca for a lot of craft beer fans. My Deserted Island Beer, Julius, one of the original New England IPAs from Treehouse, was present at Bet Bash 3. Thanks to Mark. So overall, it was a great time. A lot of good beers and good breweries represented from coast to coast. And who knows, based on this year's feedback, maybe we can go even bigger and better next time around. And as much as it was fun to celebrate people and occasions throughout the Bet Bash agenda, one of the highlights I will never forget was capping off the trip at the craps table. I'll just say that Captain Jack Andrews is dynamite with the dice. I will say no more so as to not diminish the odds of a future experience playing craps with him on the floor at Circa. That was just a perfect way to cap off a damn near perfect experience at Bet Bash 3. And of course, if I haven't mentioned any specific highlights or people yet that really might have resonated in your book, if you were there and if we interacted, I just want to note it as kind of a catch-all. I feel bad I can't mention everybody or every highlight, but there was so much opportunity to spend quality time with people from all walks of the sports betting community and really from all over the world. And it's just a standout event and another standout experience this time around. As I was there, a couple of things came up that I will use this as a chance to jump from some highlights from the conference to some tips moving forward. If you were there this time or if you plan to go in the future, I think my number one tip is to drink twice as much water as you think you need. A lot of people were losing their voices by the end of the conference. It was tough to maintain you know, proper diet or exercise habits. And I get it. We wanted to maximize the opportunity to have a good time in Vegas and network with each other. But to do that, staying hydrated really goes a long way. And any other ways you can take care of yourself when possible at Bet Bash in the future. Getting as much sleep as possible, same goes for exercise, 
trying to eat a somewhat healthy diet. I posted a photo on Twitter during Bet Bash of a little survival kit that I put together. And somehow, knock on wood, I've been to Vegas and Sweden and Austria, kind of back-to-back-to-back trips here so far in August. And I'm feeling pretty unscathed physically. It's It's been great. So I, I think there's something to trying to use some discipline, take care of yourself as best you can. And of course, at the same time, I like to give a nod to Jocko Willink, who's become famous for saying discipline equals freedom. So a delicate balance between the first tip I shared and my second tip, which is to make sure to get up to the Legacy Club every night at Bet Bash. The best networking takes place there. And yes, it's helpful to get to bed on time, drink plenty of water, eat well, exercise as much as possible. But really, we all go to Bet Bash to spend quality time with one another. And while the VIP party has, you know, capped off Bet Bash 3 and, and might do so moving forward, we'll see what Spanky has to say about that. I think unofficially, if it's not on the Bet Bash agenda, but if you're in Vegas for the conference, the Legacy Club, definitely the place to be every night that you're in Vegas for Bet Bash. All right, so we've covered some highlights, some tips for people attending in the future. A couple more notes that I'll share that I've made to myself, but maybe these will be useful tips for you as well in future Bet Bash experiences. Number one, when it comes to speed networking, a lot of people in the same room, it can get really loud and kind of tough to carry on a conversation. Take some conversations into the hallway from time to time to help save your voice and really be able to hear what the other person is saying to you during some of these meetings. Hat tip to Captain Jack for this tip. He shared it on the Unabated podcast recently. And another note I've made to myself, keep one or two go-to questions in your back pocket throughout Bet Bash. You never know who you'll run into or when. And this is something that stood out from a conversation I had with Adam Chernoff to kick off the speed networking session just knowing there are so many brilliant minds in the space. You don't want to ask people the same questions they're probably getting from everybody else. So having one to two pretty thoughtful, perhaps outside the box without getting too off the reservation, uh, um, but some pretty thoughtful questions in your back pocket so that at any time you're good to maximize any interaction that you may encounter at Bet Bash. And then another note to myself, and feel free to do with this what you will uh, if and when you are at Bet Bash in the future, but use your access to something as special as a conference like Bet Bash to share value with others who might not be there. And this came to mind when I noticed that Rufus Peabody was live tweeting the spectacular gambling Twitter panel. There were a lot of fireworks there. And I think a lot of different perspectives from Jeff Benson and Dave Sherapan and Rob Pizzol and Steve Bezik to somebody who was pretty much walking into the lion's den in Darren Ravel. Um, for those of us in the room while this was happening, it was a pretty memorable panel. But for those who couldn't be there, I, I think Rufus did a great job of sharing some insights in real time. And moving forward, I'll keep an eye out for opportunities to do the same using you know, that access that it, it sometimes it comes from a place of privilege, being able to afford a bet bash ticket and be part of such a special event, um, trying to provide value to those um, who don't have the same opportunity, or maybe they just can't make the conference for a reason like the hitman who bets NFL preseason in August and really cleans up. Um, you know, if there are people out there who have a little bit of FOMO from not being at Bet Bash, want to try to do what I can to help to that end. Lastly, I will share a few notes to people who put on the event. And while I didn't post this in my Bet Bash rehash threads, 
I have shared it already in the survey that went out. So this shouldn't be news to anybody with a say in the matter. Um, but one of my biggest thoughts is that it would be awesome if we could have later starts to the quote unquote early sessions at Bat Bash. In my book, Vegas just is not a 9 a.m. town. I know we want to try to make the most of limited time that we all have together while we're there. Sometimes I think that giving people a chance to sleep in just some more breathing room in the morning would be a better way to start each day. So making the early sessions a bit later, I think that could go a long way. And I will also note, I know it's become a bit of a polarizing topic across gambling Twitter, but I could do without the atmosphere models at the Legacy Club VIP party. And I will caveat that with the atmosphere models being there from everything I've witnessed, by and large, the behavior has been mostly innocent enough and I do appreciate Spanky's intention to make the room look better. I mean, it's Vegas. We're there for Bet Bash and it's a VIP party. I, I totally get the intention there. But to me, the bottom line is that if it makes anyone uncomfortable, especially the precious few women in attendance, then it's probably not something that's necessary or worth the cost. So just throwing that out there for what it's worth. And I'll leave it at that. Overall, to tie a bow around Bet Bash, I will note that last year, Bet Bash 2 was so good. I really didn't think Spanky or his, his team or the Circa team could top it this time around, but they proved me wrong. It was a spectacular event once again, and I'm already eager to see if they can top it once again next year when Bet Bash 4 rolls around. All right, and once again, I'll note Bet Bash ended two weeks ago, so you might be wondering why there's the delay in recapping it on this podcast. So for a little bit more background, I flew home from Vegas to LA on Saturday, August 12th. And from there, it was a quick turnaround to a business trip, LA to Stockholm on Monday, August 14th. And I'm recording this on the heels of one and a half weeks in Europe, some work in Stockholm, some vacation in Vienna. It's been a whirlwind in the best way possible. And I think that opens the opportunity here for a special hop segment with some global flair and consider this especially actionable if you plan on or aspire to be visiting Sweden or Austria anytime soon. I'll lead it off with Stockholm. The best beer spot I encountered there is called Akurat. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's spelled A-K-K-U-R-A-T. And Akurat is famous for its seller of Belgian Lambic beers. It sounded to me from talking with the staff there that a lot of people travel from all over the world to take advantage of the seller they've got there. And for the unfamiliar, Lambic is basically a term uh, used for the OG of sour beers. Think of a lighter body and more balanced than most sours produced in the U.S. today. It's just sour beer at its highest level. And to me, the highlight of my time at Akirat was going not one, but two nights and each time ordering a bottle of Lambic by a very special spot called Brasserie Cantillon, located in Brussels, Belgium. And if you're not familiar with Cantillon, but you know the sports gambling side of things, I'll, I'll go back to our days in high school and preparing for SATs. Everybody might remember those analogies. That was never my strong suit, but I'll throw this analogy your way. Cantillon is to Belgian beer what Billy Walters is to sports betting. So we're talking about the, the absolute best of the best here. And my first night at Akurat, I had a Cantillon bottle called Rosé de Gambrinus. This is a Lambic with raspberry added. And the second night, I got a bottle 
of a beer by the name of Creek 100% Lambic Bio. And Creek, in this case, is spelled K-R-I-E-K. It's basically to denote that this is a Lambic beer with cherry added. If you ever see Creek in a sour beer description, that's a tip that cherry is included. And both of these beers were absolutely phenomenal, but I will give a slight edge to Rosé de Gambrinus. Any proper sour beer with some raspberry added just really hits the spot for me. So that was a real treat. That said, I know I know sour beer isn't for everybody. And if it's not your thing, I think we've got the hops covered in a major way at a spot in Stockholm called Omnipolos Hot. Again, I hope I'm saying that right. It's spelled O-M-N-I-P-O-L-L-O-S. And then the second word, H-A-T-T. This is a tasting room for a Swedish micro... Excuse me. I've, again, been uh, traveling a bit lately. Might be a bit tongue-tied at times. But uh, yeah, Omnipolosat is a tasting room for a Swedish microbrewery, Omnipolo. And it's a short walk from Akirat, so you can easily kill two birds with one stone. The beer that I really enjoyed there was called Three Times Three. It's a hazy triple IPA, and it's a collaboration with some U.S. powerhouses, including Monkish and My Neck of the Woods in L.A., as well as North Park in San Diego, other half in New York, and Trillium in Massachusetts, among others. Now, Three Times Three is a big beer, but that 10% plus ABV was masked deceptively well by some nice citrusy and tropical flavors, as well as a creamy body. I'll note that like Akurat, I went to Omnipolos Hot two nights throughout the trip. I was basically just drinking three times three on repeat. Usually if I go to a brewery or a good beer bar, I'll try to work my way across the menu. Uh, this one was too good to deviate and go with anything else. And on the second night to really elevate things, I paired three times three with a wood-fired pizza that was made on site. And it was really a case of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. So consider this the Malinsky minute for this episode of Props and Hops. Dave Malinsky would always talk about not just the beer, but a food and beer pairing that could elevate the entire experience. And I think that a hazy IPA like three times three with with a food like the wood-fired pizza prepared on-site at Omnipolosat, that's a pairing that's going to go down as pretty tough to beat in the long haul. That said, moving on from Stockholm, at Vienna, I came across one spot that is worth sharing, and I think it's saving the best for last here. The spot in Vienna is called Amutsen, that's A-M-M-U-T-S-O-N, and in the uh, special characters they've got over in Austria, that O has the diagonal slash through it, so don't know what that's called, but Amutsen, I think that'll get you close enough if you search for it, if you're going to be in Vienna anytime soon. This place has 12 beers on tap, a wide variety of styles and locations represented from across Europe. And I had three pours while I was there. All of them were excellent. First up was an Austrian take on the American pale ale style. This had mosaic and citra hops. I think of it as a hazy crusher, as friend of the show and athletic baseball reporter Eno Saris would say. And this hazy crusher, while it was produced in Austria, I think it goes toe-to-toe with some of the top-tier takes I've had from American craft breweries. So things got started on a really high note at Amazon. And then next up, the party continued with a German alt beer aged in Pinot Noir barrels. This was a, a nice sour beer due to the barrel aging with a light body, really well-balanced. And I ordered this one because when I saw it on the menu, 
I couldn't help but think of a recent guest on the show, Tisa Bean, who was David Malinsky's ex-fiance, and she was an extraordinary grand finale for the month of Malinsky interview series that we did in July. During that interview with Tisa, she asked me about alt beer, and I knew of the style, but I was kind of ashamed to admit I couldn't recall the last time that I drank one. So I was able to fix that problem in Vienna. And uh, having had this very nicely made German alt beer, I've got to say next time I come across a beer menu with alt beer among the offerings, probably going to look that way once again. The third pour at Amundsen, let's just call it the beer of the trip because they had Rosé de Gambrinus on tap. Again, that's Cantillon's Lambic with raspberry added. This time, having it on draft instead of from the bottle when I was in Stockholm made for an interesting comparison. And I'll say it tasted just as good on tap. So that was a real treat. But beyond the 12 beers on tap, what I think makes Amundsen a must if you're going to be in Vienna anytime is that they offer to-go bottles of their Belgian Lambics. And the pricing there is as plus EV as it gets. I took home a 750 milliliter bottle of Rosé de Gambrinus, courtesy of their to-go offering. And I'll say that it was less than half the cost of Belgian Lambics on the rare occasions I've seen that style for sale in the U.S. Maybe it was just being much closer to Belgium. So the, you know, importing, exporting costs weren't as significant. I don't know. Bottom line, the value was off the charts good. So that was an opportunity not to be missed. And whether or not you want to take anything home, whether or not you know much about Belgian Lambics or, or anything else when it comes to various beer styles, Amazon just had a really cozy build out, a very welcoming staff. And it's nice to know that you're supporting independent breweries by supporting them because they only sell beer produced by independent breweries. So overall with Amundsen, from the quality and price of the beer, whether you're having it on site or to go, to the comfortable space, the excellent service, you'll be hard pressed to visit Vienna without visiting Amundsen if you consider yourself into craft beer. And you will also be hard pressed to check out of this podcast without getting a best bet for the NFL regular season, because I'd like to share that now to bring things full circle after leading off with the game plan for the upcoming NFL season. And this coming NFL season, I am going to have some action on Deshaun Watson, regular season passing yards, over 3,650 and a half. You can find that right now at minus 120 at a major regulated U.S. book. And this one is courtesy of Hitman, he talked about it on a recent episode of the Forward Progress podcast, and he said he considers it good up to 3,800 passing yards for Deshaun Watson this season. Now, Hitman noted that injury, always a concern with overs on season-long props, but the current price point bakes in some cushion to cash this one, even if Watson happens to miss two or three games this coming season. And when we look back at the Browns offseason, Hitman notes that a lot of the Browns' actions suggested an increased emphasis on the passing game this coming campaign. The Browns parted ways with Kareem Hunt, and they bolstered their wide receiver core via the trade market, free agency, and their first draft pick. Looking at the price here, the line also seems to be a decent bit deflated due to two games last season when weather really limited Watson's ability to throw the ball. And again, he plays in Cleveland. We've seen bad weather games there before, or perhaps at the home stadiums of some other AFC North opponents. So bad weather game, that could happen another time or two this year. But last year, two bad weather games accounted for a third of Watson's six-game sample size for the 2022 season. 
one to two bad weather games this time around would be more or less a blip on the radar if and when they occur this season. One more note here is Watson continues to acclimate to Cleveland. A lot of rust we saw in his game last year should be less of a factor in 2023. So once again, best bet, courtesy of Hitman, Deshaun Watson, regular season passing yards, over 3,650 and a half at minus 120. And consider this one good, up to 3,800 yards. All right. This has been quite the monologue. We'll wrap up the show at this point. I want to thank those of you for watching and listening. Always appreciate the time. Next week in store, we do have one more NFL offseason episode. Planning to have a guest on for that conversation. So I'll see you then right back here on Props and Hops.